For this issue of Nerdcraft Nation, host Brandon, Chris, and Jose are joined by Animation Meditations Andy Paris to talk the steampunk theme sequel series, Avatar The Legend of Korra, its journey to relevancy, and why Varric, the Varric, is an icon. I'm Chris Walker, and this is Nerdcraft Nation. Hello and welcome to Nerdcraft Nation. This is Chris Walker. I'm joined by Brandon Kessley. Hey, everybody. Jose Lopez. Hey, everyone. And our special guest for today's episode, Andy Paris. Hello. And today we are discussing the one and only Avatar Legend of Korra. This show, critically acclaimed, ran on Nickelodeon and Nick.com starting in 2012, ending in late 2014, had 52 episodes across four seasons, which actually pretty sure is not significantly shorter than Avatar The Last Air Bender. Yeah, I think it's short about like eight episodes, maybe nine. Yeah, and it is the sequel series of Avatar The Last Airbender, set 70 years after the original series with Aang and Associates. And distinctly, the worlds are different. Legend of Korra is actually way more built up and is 70 years after the original series ended with the Water Tribe, Earth Kingdom, and Fire Nation, and the small but notable Air Nomads finally working in harmony. Avatar Korra, a 17-year-old girl from the Southern Water Tribe is the successor of Avatar Aang and is working towards completing her Avatar training when we first meet her. So I'm going to start off like this. What are everybody's thoughts on Legend of Korra? I'm going to start with Andy. Yeah, I really like The Legend of Korra. I think it's a great continuation of the the Avatar story. I have a lot of varying opinions about each of the individual seasons and each of the individual characters. And this is a show that I can talk negatively on for hours, but still come out just really loving. Honestly, what are your thoughts on each season? <laughs> All right. Like in a quick <laughs> summation. <laughs> if, <laughs> let's go there. Let's go. Yeah, let's get in there. Let's dive right into Let's it. get in there. All right. So I think Korra as a character is a breath of fresh air. This show came out around the time I was in college. And like prior to that, I had loved the Avatar universe. I immersed myself in the Avatar universe and I was super excited for this to come out. And opening up, I was very worried that they were going to try and just like catch lightning in a bottle again and just copy what they were doing. But like Korra as a character is completely different from Aang. It's almost like like they were explicitly trying to make Korra Aang's foil, which I felt was like just very refreshing and very enjoyable, at least for the first season. And I'm not going to lie. When they opened up and they were like, we're going to introduce like the bending sports and all that. I was like, I would be totally cool if this was just a sports anime with like no actual world ending stakes for like (laughs) the entire season. I would have happily accepted that and just taken it as is. Like, I think Amon makes for a very intimidating villain. Tarlock has very good motivations and a very interesting backstory. Ties into Amon's backstory as well. And the, the way that like that cohesion works out throughout is very good. The ending feels a bit rushed towards the end and feels a little almost deus ex machina but I think given that that first season was in initially 
initially intended to be a one-season miniseries, it kind of felt like they didn't really have a choice but to have that rush ending, so I, I'm not super negative on it. You start to see a bit of the issues that take root with the show itself later on when you start to introduce like the love triangle between Mako and Korra and Asami, and there are some like negative things there, but overall, season one's like pretty good, all things considered. With season two, I know most people absolutely shit on season two, left and right. I think season two has a lot of potential, but they absolutely just throw it right out of the window. One of my biggest issues with season two is you get the concept of Rava and the concept of Vatu as this like good and evil, and it like acts as like a definitive origin story for the Avatar as a being throughout history. And they do a lot of very good things establishing that. They give you these like yin-yang comparisons as they're battling, and I think that that's genuinely like interesting. And it feels almost bad because in terms of like a yin-yang relationship between Rava and Vatu, both sides need to have some amount of equality. Both sides need the other to be able to survive. And then that would have made for a very interesting nuance between Korra and Unalak, like actively trying to balance out the good and the bad of it. But instead they sort of just make Unalak and Vatu definitively bad instead of like there needs to be some amount of this existent in their world. And it just sort of falls apart after that. And overall, I can go on and on about just how bad season two is. But I'm sure we can do that later on in the episode. But <laughs> I feel you, Annie. Yeah, like I feel like Unalak became very one-dimensional compared to the other villains oh, yeah. in the core season. Thing, yeah, with Unalak, yeah. it almost felt like they were just trying to copy what worked with Tarlock, but not really move forward with what made Tarlock interesting. That's a fair yeah. point. I gotta be honest, like, I had only seen the show once when it aired, and then only now again once it got back on Netflix. I misremembered and thought Unalog and Talog were the same person. It's like, oh yeah, that's the guy from <laughs> season oh, two. Yeah, wait, I yeah, had yeah, the wait, same issue, yeah, actually, yeah, the yeah, first I, time I, I, I don't that. blame you, it's just... <laughs> When season three started, I was a little bit concerned. When they introduced the concept of a few non-benders in the world suddenly gaining airbending and being able to use these abilities and the rebuilding of the Air Nation and all of that, I was initially concerned because one of the most interesting aspects of this show was the fact that it had come after the events of Avatar The Last Airbender, and this world was healing from the consequences of that war. And, like, genocide is something that cannot just be magically erased and suddenly we have more of that culture, more of these people. Whereas, like, in the show, they just suddenly blink and all of these airbenders appear, which isn't realistic and it kind of takes away from, like, the heftiness of that concept. But on the other hand, it does allow for them to do some very interesting things with that, allowing them to really dig into what happens when you have a group of airbenders all together, really dig into what happens when you have a, an antagonist that is an airbender and it follows airbender philosophy. Yes. Like, Zaheer and the rest of the Red Lotus are completely badass and take very interesting stances on their own individual power sets, and it's, it's just great how they set that up. Yeah, I and, love how they yes. introduce that, like, anarchist side of their perspective. Oh, absolutely. It's not a great perspective because, like, the power vacuum yeah. that is created allows for Kuvira to rise in power in the next season. But they take an Erica's perspective and they make it believable. They make it, like, genuinely, like, oh, you yeah. can follow along with the logic that Zaheer is giving you and you understand why he has his motivations. It's not fundamentally bad logic. It's just with someone who is easily corrupted. Exactly. Which is, like, a simple philosophy that a lot of different shows can teach you that, yeah. like, the best 
rest of people are corrupted by the simplest of their temptations or by their own desires and wants and hope of how they want the world to look. Yeah, I think Zaheer has very good logic, but not very good means of implementing a solution for it. Yeah. But like he's so hellbent on like getting to that point, getting us to a point where we don't have any monarchy, we don't have an avatar, we don't have this all-seeing, all-knowing power above us. We understand why he got to that point. And then like that (laughs) following up into season four where we have Kuvira, who's literally just like the closest thing to a one-to-one analogy to a real-life dictator. Like we have someone who who saw the absence of power and just outright took it. And it took it with like the same kind of logic that Fire Lord Ozen had in the prior one where he's like we are the pinnacle of innovation we need to implement what we have across the world and by doing so we make the world better that's a really good parallel I did think about that in my rewatch I don't think when I initially watched it but back during this COVID Netflix rewatch uh, I was like she's the earth version of, of Sozin and Ozai yeah you know complete with the whole <laughs> the earth empire great voice acting from uh, Zelda Williams oh absolutely I love the use of like the, the shoulder metal collars to like recreate the Darth Vader form force choke just like yeah like really set that intimidation it's so good it's perfect imagery at times all right brandon what did you think so i'm pretty much with andy here i think one of the things that i really do appreciate about legend of korra is how different it is from the last airbender but overall i really appreciated it i think i had the same or at least similar issues with the seasons i think we talked about this in our airbender episode but based on the episodes and season structure that they got basically the creator fighting against Nickelodeon in a sense to the point that they almost got screwed by the the company and then still ended up giving them I believe another Emmy Award winning series I think based on the background of the show as opposed to the actual show itself I thought it came out really well I do believe that they took a very interesting turn and they really differentiated itself from the original series where they delved more into a bit of the urban fantasy they delved more into more mature themes they weren't afraid to actually acknowledge death in the concept consequences of death and actually killing people. I know that that was the thing for Aang where, you know, he was very much a monk and a Buddhist and not really trying to take life, even to the point that he was like a complete vegetarian and didn't even kill bugs. Full on pacifist. Right. And Korra is just the opposite. In fact, she, despite her being from the water tribe, her element of expression is fire. And she's very hot headed. She's very impulsive. And unlike Aang, she like relishes in the actual fighting and is like probably a borderline prodigy, if not an actual prodigy when it comes to fighting. But then had no grasp or interest in the spiritual side. Yeah, she's such an opposite to Aang that the one element that she has trouble bending is air. Yeah, so Andy, I think you put it very well where she is essentially Aang's foil, despite being his successor. I liked all the seasons. I liked season two the least for the reasons that we have discussed, but what I did find interesting was the concepts that they pushed throughout the series. It was kind of more, you know, Saturday morning cartoony and not just an overarching narrative like the first one, which I'm okay with. I think it was interesting that we got a little bit of a treatise on extremism throughout the entire series, where each each season was a different type of extremism where you had Amon kind of dealing with a bit of communism or Marxism. Amon is a bit Marxist. Then you have Unalak who is really theocratic and very much a religious zealot in using those principles to incite a civil war and really trying to change the world through spirituality and through his religion. And then you have the Red Lotus going through their anarchism and that expression. And like Andy said, that power vacuum that leads to Kavira's fascism in the fourth season. I think it was very 
very interesting to take the world of Avatar and explore those themes and how they relate to it. And they use the bending to really explore those aspects as well. I mean, there was the great example in, I want to say season three, but I think they, they touched back on it again in season four, where they really delve into the metal bending aspect when Korra's learning metal bending in season three. And it really explores how malleable and how flexible you have to be as a bender, but just like her philosophy in terms of her lifestyle and why she ended up being a better metal bender than Lynn did in building that city on her own. Well, you know, more or less in all the freedom that she instilled in Kavira and to the point that Kavira really looked up to her despite going against her wishes and becoming a dictator. <laughs> building up a lot of strong women. You had that sequence in season four where you had all the metal benders fighting and it was like Kavira fighting Suyin and Lin and trying to rescue the folks and it was just like this great fantastic sequence that would have been great out of a wuxia film or something. All this like action with like, all the women on screen it was just like this is dope like they're just kicking ass right now. I feel like season three was my favorite season out of the four. I'm okay with season one. Season two had a lot of good moments but like was already previously discussed a lot of wasted potential. Season four was also good but I personally would have liked to see a little bit more you know 52 episodes is a lot i wouldn't have minded a couple extra episodes here and there you take what you can get those are my thoughts for the time being <laughs> fair enough no i honestly think it's a very short series for what it is and they jam-packed a lot in there jose what are your thoughts like Andy and Brandon have already said, I think for me, season two was also my least favorite of the seasons. The villains in the show were just so great. Not that Avatar The Last Ender, Brandon didn't have great villains, but I feel like these villains were more fleshed out with the exception of Unala, because he's like the odd man out in terms of like the villains that we got across this show. Amon had this like Marxism side to him. He wanted to bring non-Benders together, bring these disenfranchised people together for a common cause, saying like, hey, these Benders things are better than us but I can speak for the common man. We non-benders are great on our own too. By taking away their bending, he was able to flex this muscle to show them that they show their strength. And not only that, but he was a great strategist for most of season one. That's why I really love that first season. It felt like he was always one step ahead of Korra and team. Every time that we're planning on doing something, he was like, oh, nope, I already have my armada already. Or, oh, uh, General Iroh comes in to save the day. Nope, psych. I already have airships going when you're coming with your fleet. So I really like that aspect of him, how he's always prepared and sort of ready to counter move every attack that came at him from an opponent yeah, even, even if it didn't always make sense <laughs> yeah <laughs> i mean honestly the man was running like a politician he was using propaganda and tools like that to set up a good base and then he was just like all right now oh, i gotta absolutely. strategize i gotta work my like, ways he built around a following from the out. ground up yeah yep. yeah truly very organic Amon, overall great villain. Unalak and Batu, they felt like the most one-dimensional villains to me in this whole show. It's like, oh yeah, I just want to turn the world into darkness for 100,000 years just because I'm the evil uncle. I'm basically Scar in this scenario and Korra's like the Simba. <laughs> so yeah, just the evil uncle, want to take over the world, plunge it into darkness just because dark spirits. <laughs> More Hamlet, duh. Yeah, gotta yeah. throw that Shakespeare in there somewhere. And yeah, the love triangle was cringy for me. That shit felt like it came out of right out of the CW. It's like, oh my god. The whole time I was, I was re-watching, I was like, can we just wrap this up and get to Korosami? Like, Mako, you're just the fucking worst in relationships. Let's just get this to where we know it's gonna work. I am glad this, they poked a lot of fun at it throughout the way, though. Yeah. At least that was fun, but at least I... Mako, like, come on, yeah. man. Get it together. I felt bad for Bolin in the first couple seasons, but I'm glad he ended up with Opal at the end, so good on yeah. him. Bolin's and, just good people. Yeah. 
He's the kind of guy you want to have around. The Bolin Varric scenes where you get to see him in the movers, that's probably like the best part of season two. Yeah. (laughs) Yeah. Varric, also great character from the show, having Julie do the thing all the time and she always knows what the thing is. And yeah, Sahir with his master plot with the Red Lotus. It was great irony that Sahir had studied up on the Air Nomads and knew exactly what to do just in time for when he got his air powers right after the (laughs) Swords It's like, oh, how convenient. I'm the only one of the Red Lotus who doesn't have any bending powers, but I just happened to study all of the airbending techniques. And what do you know? I'm an airbender now. I got it, you guys. I finally got it. I got yeah. what I promised myself. And the fact that he was able to do stuff that not even like Aang or Korra could do, like fly. This motherfucker was straight up supermaning that up with just <laughs> going full speed ahead. Like, oh, how do you know how to do this? Two words. Why have we never seen Aang do this? Uh, two <laughs> words, guys. Guru Lahima. <laughs> yeah, good thing he set it up on Guru Lahima. So great convenience there. And yeah, I did didn't catch it the first time I saw it, but now in the rewatch, I realized that they had set up Kuvira at the end of season three. And I was like, oh, oh shit, like that's a nice tie in. And then just brought her into um, season four. Yeah, it's so very easy that... to miss. They only bring it up like two, maybe three times. Yeah, she only shows up like, yeah. like one or two episodes in season three. Yeah, exactly. Yeah, and she doesn't even get named until like the last episode of the season, I think. Oh, yeah. So I feel like that's when they Her knew, oh, we're getting a season four. I kind of wonder in a way that would this show have given us the storylines that it did if it wasn't because of like the miniseries or whether we're now going to get renewed aspect of it. Like if they had known from the beginning that there were going to be four seasons, I don't know whether or not we've gotten the storylines that we did. They might have gone to a more traditional approach and done what they did with like last airbender and just do a continuous storyline that kind of went all the way through four seasons but because it was always like maybe the show just lives off here or we don't know if we're gonna get another season that's kind of why they want to introduce each season as its own unique storyline so in a way i'm thankful that we got the storylines that we got but like in some scenarios like season two it kind of suffered for it so overall yeah like the show not as much as last airbender but still pretty enjoyable show my thoughts on the show are that like every everyone else I actually didn't love the second season but I thought the show as a whole was it was good it was it was a good sequel series to Avatar The Last Airbender it's less serious though at times like it's more willing to goof off when it wants to and this could have been an entire sports anime and it would have worked perfectly they dealt with that for a lot longer than I thought this show would have when I originally started watching it oh yeah I think especially season one bending sport yeah Yeah, and actually that kind of irked me at first but then I saw that they were trying to build out this world and I was like, all right, I can live with it because it's 70 years after and you don't really know what's happened. You have to like go and see that this world is distinctly different from where Aang and everybody was. In terms of having a broader cast, they did really well with giving everybody enough shine. Like you get to know each character for a good amount. Even Varric, like Varric just pops up in- originally and he's just a character and he's zany and he's an inventor. He reminds me of like a 1920s Elon Musk. Wasn't like so, Amber uh, Heard his Julie. Yes, <laughs> that's it. That's what I was thinking about. I actually was just about to text Jose. Does he have a weird connection with Amber Hurt? Thank you. Yeah. Yes. Yep, the they dated Amber for a while. Julie. Okay. Before Grimes? I don't know if it was before or right after she split with Johnny Depp. Oh, man. Listen, I'm it deep was probably in after. Celebrity I think, gossip, yeah, I think so. it was after. 
Wow, that is wild. <laughs> it has been years. There's a lot of filler episodes. I wouldn't say that they're good or they're bad, but seasons one and two have a lot of filler episodes that just are meant to build out the show and they work. Some of them are boring. Some of them just are there, I guess. And I did not know about the miniseries thing about the first season, actually. I never knew that until today. So this is completely new information to me. But that actually kind of makes sense with the fact that there was no clear end game. Like they just kept building out this show and I can see kind of where people would drop off because that's a hard thing to stay with throughout unless you know that there's a point where this is going to end or a point where there's going to be a serious conflict that you're going to get a conflict and a resolution at, at some point. Like that's one of the biggest things about Avatar The Last Airbender. You knew that Aang had to learn the three other styles of bending and then fight the Fire Lord. You knew that was coming. And this show doesn't really have that in the same sense. It was right. just that Korra needed to learn airbending and she wanted to see the rest of the world around her. And that's how she becomes friends with Mako and Bolin and Asami, but kind of rudderless at times. But in the same time, it finds itself. It knows where it's going later on. I would say season three, it really just figures out, hey, we now have an endpoint. We might end here. Here, but we can figure it out from further along. And Kuvera is my favorite villain on this entire show because she just creeps up out of nowhere and you don't think she's inherently evil. And she really isn't, but she has good intentions, but she clearly just gets intoxicated by the power. And like, honestly, at that point, you're just gone. I know in the sequel series, she like atones for it and she makes up for it and she recognizes the wrongs of her ways. And she does at the end of the series, but she is a little combative about it either way but honestly she's a villain that you don't root for but you kind of just see how she gradually goes into that sphere she reminds me of darth vader in that sense actually because mm. when he's anakin you, you mean can besides see the how force he choking yes besides <laughs> the force choking and the fascism actually no including the force choking <laughs> and the fascism. come on you guys adding on to it yep yes all the Mussolini stuff, you know? But when he's Anakin, you can see how he graduates to Darth Vader from the prequel series into the original series. And you see how he gets there. It's just that he wants to protect his family. He wants to not lose anyone. And she clearly wants a family. And the Earth Empire is her family. And she wants to protect it in any way possible by growing it. And clearly, that is not the way to gain a family. That is not the way. That is not the way. But overall, I enjoyed the series. I thought it could be better in different ways, but honestly, it, the show is good. I thoroughly enjoyed watching it. So to move forward, does everybody have a favorite character? And I'm going to start with Jose. Yeah, for me, I think Varric, I just love his zaniness. Just comes out of nowhere, I think, in season two and just brings this energy to the show that's just so enjoyable. And they just can't help to want to watch more of what this crazy dude's going to do. And always having Juliana side like, Julie, do the thing. Always cracks me up. Think of favorite villain for me it's like a tie for me between Amon and Zaheer like I think I like Amon a little more just because of how he's assembled the non-benders and sort of had like the strategist thing going but like again yeah sometimes it was like an ass pool move that oh surprise I'm actually Tarlac's secret brother that just knows how to take away bending because he's secretly a bloodbender but overall yeah I think those were two of my favorites and of course Chris I gotta mention Toph being like the Yoda for Korra <laughs> in season four yeah <laughs> Love that. <laughs> 
complete with a swamp that setting. Literally and popped out of nowhere. I was just like, you guys did this all on purpose. This mm-hmm. is all on purpose. Mm-hmm. It's real and adorable it that bullshit. Toph is living in the same swamp that Aang first sees her yep. in yep. in the original yep. series. I thought that was like just so adorable. Yep, foggy swamp. Yep. yep. And I had a feeling she was gonna show up at some point because they kept name dropping her thing, like, Suyin and Suyin and Len keep like name dropping. Like, oh well, mom did this, mom did that. There's always like, oh, whatever happened to mom? She never showed up again. So, and the fact that that and they basically admit that she's alive too. Yeah, like they never take that idea away. Yeah, whatsoever. And I think that was end of season three and season four is when I really started to love Korra the most because I think Brandon had told me this when Tina sort of insinuated that Korra was kind of like the Karen of the show. <laughs> I demand to speak to the manager of non-vendors, please. She yeah. kind of had this like attitude that was sort of made it hard to like her at first for some people, but for me, I really loved her at the end of season three and going into season four. Like that Korra alone episode really made me love the character more. I don't know. Maybe it's yep. just me that loves seeing a character at the lowest point trying to build themselves back up. Just the love that getting yeah that reconstruction, redemption, getting their groove back and sort of like reassessing their priorities, their lives, their goals, and sort of like taking that in, learning from their mistakes and moving forward. That's honestly a great point. I didn't even thought of that. Shit. All right. Andy, your favorite character. My heart says Varric. I love Varric. He's easily one of the characters that I look to in terms of just like, this is done right just throughout the entire series. I love what you're doing. I love how you're like this chaotic, neutral-esque character who just doesn't have any allegiances and just wants to see progress for progress's sake. But my brain wants to say Tenzin. Oh, Tenzin. Because he's written just so consistently throughout and J.K. Simmons gives you such a great performance and he's also another character that's just written so well throughout all four seasons and like just that entire family and like how you get to see how Aang wasn't really a perfect dad and had issues and how Tenzin's brother and sisters like turned out despite the fact that they couldn't bend air or couldn't bend at all. I think it was very well done throughout. It was very interesting and it had a lot of depth to the show that I didn't see coming from a kid show, honestly. That's fair. Brandon, your favorite character, sir. So, I got like two. I'll say like the most quotable character is, and I, I gotta say the full name for this one. Oh, Lord. Nick Blackstone Varric. Most quotable oh. character by far. <laughs> I didn't even know that was his full name. <laughs> I wrote it down because I, I was like, this is some comedy right here. When did they say that? At the wedding? At the wedding, yep. Yeah. <laughs> it said Nick Blackstone Varric and Julie Moon. And I was like, oh, okay. So I guess that's a thing. All right. They have full names. <laughs> the minute you thing. said Nick, I was like, oh, I know who he's talking about. <laughs> I, I remember this exactly. <laughs> So I watched it last week. I was like, okay, he's so they I learned they had a full on name. Okay. And then I actually really like Asami. Normally I'm with you, Jose, that I also really enjoyed Korra's progress. For me, I think I've said this multiple times on multiple episodes at this point, but I'm not normally drawn to a protagonist in the show. Not always. Yep. It really depends on the genre and the type of character that they are. But for Asami, she had a very interesting arc in my opinion, especially given her whole introduction and then they they try to do that whole love triangle thing and then her father effectively being a terrorist but instead of her like you know being drawn in and saying like oh this is my dad I'm not gonna turn on my dad she's like no he's a fucking terrorist I'm gonna fight him (laughs) and then she just goes from there and she's just like no I'm gonna take over the company and try to clean up my family name she's basically the soccer of that group where she has no bending I was literally thinking that yeah like she has no bending but she's super smart she's capable she still throws hands and probably throws hands more than Sokka did at at that time yeah she's almost like a blend between 
between Sasaka and Suki. And it was yeah. just really fun to see, really cool to see. And just having an inventor, especially with the whole steampunk angle that they've gone with. So just seeing someone like that just be there and continuing that, I guess it's another thing she shares with Sasaka and Mechanist, I guess, but just continuing that angle of the technological improvement and like her and Varric and having the meeting of the minds and them coming up with those various weapons, especially at the end of the series when they're doing the Battle of Republic City against Kavira in her Gundam. And she well, comes up with a little like firefly thing. Yeah, <laughs> little, little, little hummingbird robots. Yeah. Very early Gundam. Yeah. <laughs> also got the redemption arc for her father. For, yeah, yeah, oh, exactly. Yeah. I think it's, yeah. like, it's not even relevant to the plot, but it's very well appreciated. I it really, is, I yeah. really enjoyed that they included yeah, it. Yeah, it is very much appreciated. So yeah, those are my two. I have to say that I do have a least favorite. It pains me to say it. My least favorite is Bolin. Oh, Bolin. we're doing Fuck least you. favorites? I've got a least favorite. See, I would have said Mako for me for least favorite. I also would have going to say Mako. <laughs> My I would have favorite I, is Mako. I would have said Mako, but for me, Bolin edged him out, and it was part of it was him, unfortunately, not only being woefully incompetent, despite all the talent and really the power that he has. I mean, the guy can freaking lava bend, but also just like him just being super freaking annoying. Like Sokka, I thought was funny, but like Bolin was almost like a fake Sokka in a sense with bending. It was like, yeah, you know, it's nice every once in a while, but it's kind of like when you have the criticism of the Marvel movies where the joke will just keep dragging on yeah Bolin did that the entire series and that really annoyed the hell out of me like Mako's just like super angsty and like they just keep doing all the girl drama with him but like goes full CW (laughs) yeah it goes full CW but they effectively cut that out and he borderline exits the show or at least he exits relevance outside of fighting but Bolin is just there for comedy and the comedy just doesn't land for me that's why I was happy to have Varric there because Varric is actually funny that's a fair criticism yeah I don't blame you the man that's my favorite character <laughs> but I think my I'm issue sorry. But my issue with like, <laughs> <laughs> with, like Mako specifically is that he brings a lot of some of the worst aspects of the show into. He's like the center of this love triangle. He literally watches his brother get kidnapped. He's just like, yeah, whatever. But then like this girl that he just met a few months ago gets kidnapped and he loses his mind. Yeah. Something feels like, fake about that. I understand like being calm in a, in a tense situation, but like you were put in the same situation in two separate occasions. Like five episodes ago. And you re- like, <laughs> exactly. You react completely differently in both. Yeah. And you know that Korra has hands slash can bend four different elements. Your brother can only earthbend at that time. And also, he's your little brother. Yeah. 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 And you guys don't have any other family. He's the only family you have. Yeah. 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 What's wrong with that? Makes Mako look more like a dick. (laughs) He's thinking with the wrong head. (laughs) (laughs) This guy. Hey, it was a more mature show, right? (laughs) That's true. true. Well, I'm going to jump off of what I just said and Bolin is my favorite character, mainly because he starts off as such a goofball and the jokes don't land at first, but he also gradually just changes and you can like see him mature and grow as a person and like figure himself out. And that's something that I really thought this show did well as it went on. I, I felt yeah. like he was at times an analogy for the show that it gradually he starts to find his way just like this show. I said it was rudderless earlier. He starts to figure out that he needs to find a purpose in his life and he goes and he finds it in movies. He finds it working for Kuvera, but neither of those things work out, but he still contributes and he he still just wants to do the right thing at the end of the day. And you have to admire that. A strong number two, of course, is Varric, just because he's (laughs) Varric. But I really enjoyed Tenzin's kids. Yeah. (laughs) 
Janora they were Milo. great. Janora Milo and Iki. Yeah. Yes. Janora, especially with how spiritual she is, but she doesn't really recognize how spiritual she is until later on. Yeah. I always thought that that was very impressive. It speaks to something about how kids are wiser than adults. They just don't know it because adults kind of put them down for it in certain ways, unless they're really listening. And that should teach you all a valuable lesson for when your parents listen to your goddamn children. They know better than you sometimes. <laughs> <laughs> yep. Children always yeah, acknowledge speak the when truth. you're wrong. Like, yeah. You have to realize that like these children see you as these like authority figures who are definitively correct and you have to acknowledge that like that's not just not true very yeah. accurate yeah. very accurate. i saw like a meme online that basically compared like janora to like the harmony of this show <laughs> <laughs> i like that <laughs> come on cora it's leviosa not leviosa <laughs> Be the leaf. Oh. <laughs> <laughs> and I am going to say one thing that I really appreciated was seeing Zuko flying a dragon. Yes. Just for character Finally. arc building. Yes, that was great to see. Honestly, it was nice to see everyone who's still alive. Yeah. 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 Well, I guess we technically saw everyone as an adult because we even saw Aang and Sokka in a flashback. Yeah. Yeah, we didn't no see Suki. <laughs> and that <laughs> actually leads else. to my next question. Do you guys think that this show linked the two shows well enough? Or do you think they should have done more and connected the dots better? I think we got enough. Yeah, I feel like in a way, it's kind of like the similar situation that we got from The Last Airbender when we had these like lingering questions left, like what happened with Suko's mom, this and that. So I think this show answered the things that need to be answered and left a few things open-ended that could be answered in like future graphic novels. Now, I forgot to read up on the graphic novels for this one. I read up on the ones for last airbender but i was gonna get to these and then i just forgot for some reason because i really wanted to know what was next for these characters because unlike last airbender i felt this show could have easily gone on longer like i feel like this show was easier to keep going and adapt the graphic novels into more episodes than last airbender because at least last airbender wrapped up what it had set out to do yeah you last know? airbender wraps up very tightly but this show is very open-ended yeah like even the end of the last season you literally could just have Korra and asami exploring the spirit world and then coming back and then having a full-blown relation oh wait i'm sorry that's the graphic novel yep that's literally <laughs> what happens <laughs> literally what happens yeah i think this show does nothing in terms of like the characters that we see and the abilities that we see like we we get to see like the progression of how like lightning bending works in this universe we get to see the progression of like metal bending in this universe and especially like the impact that the original cast from avatar the last airbender had on that what i would have liked to see in terms of connecting to the main series is like in avatar the last airbender you got to travel the entire globe and like you see all the different aspects of the different nations and with like this series for the first two seasons all you see is this like new york-esque steam punk aesthetic kind of blandishness and like it's interesting but it's the only thing you get it just kind of blends into itself too much and then like later on you get to see bossing say you get to see zafu like you get like this sort of like breath of fresh air when you're like going around and seeing the other aspects and then you also do get to see the battlefield that zuko walks through in zuko alone at the end of the avatar one story when he dies i guess you oh, you also do get to see the swamp yeah i guess a little bit with Toph. Yeah. a little bit of the swamp with is Toph, but like outside of that you like you don't really get to see how the rest of the world has really progressed out. I think like that would have been nice, but I also understand that like don't exactly have a whole lot of time to do that. Yeah, I would have loved to see more of like what the Fire Nation looks like now. I think we only just saw like a little bit when like Zuko and the new Fire Lord showed up. It's like, oh, okay, I'm going to meet the Avatar at Republic City. We don't know what the Fire Nation looks like now after 70 years after Zuko's rule and now his daughter taking over. We've seen a more Boston Say in season three now with the Earth Queen, who apparently they hint that she ate 
Bosco the Bear in one episode. Very <laughs> <No. laughs> handily yeah. hinted, actually. Yeah. yeah. I guess the Air Nomads are still building out their base and island outside of Republic City, and, and they find a new spot, I think, in like season four where they're building out the Air Nation. But yeah, not not as much world building as the last Airbender. They kind of have to sacrifice that just because like they have a lot more characters. A lot of their characters don't really get nearly as much intensive development as like the original Avatar cast do. Yeah. And it makes sense with a shorter seasons. You really want to focus on the story at hand and not have as many filler episodes here and there. Exactly. Like they, even though they do have some, it's not like as frequent as it normally would be. I think it's the third season, like two thirds of the way through they switch it to being online. Like it's clear that at some point Nickelodeon was going to cancel this show. Yeah, they had some like severe budget cuts towards the end of season four. Yeah. Yep, and that's why they put like the last few episodes of season four on like Nick.com. They went to streaming only right after the Long Live the Queen episode and then they streamed the entire rest of the series. They did the finale on TV, but at that point it was really pointless because nobody had seen everything. So <laughs> So they did like a catch-up marathon to show oh, they, all the episodes before yeah. the finale, but they had gone streaming only midway through season three. Is that, is that why the clip three. show exists? The episode where they just recap everything that happened? Oh, yeah, that clip show. Like the episode where they basically recap the whole show. Yeah, it starts with Mako talking to the prince. Yeah. Prince Wu? Yeah, I used, <laughs> prince to date, yeah, yeah. I used to date Avatar Core. Like, oh, do yeah. tell. Please, oh, holes, yeah. dig it holes. Yeah. <laughs> Prince Wu. I, I, I forgot about Prince a clip Wu. show episode. <laughs> yeah, yeah they, they literally a clip show. They yeah. literally played clips. I do want to say that entire episode should have just been Varric and Bolin doing a mover. <laughs> that would have been great. The, it would have literally been... just been like, we're doing an abridged series. <laughs> For this entire show. That would have been like yeah. the perfect so Emerald Island, Island players Island for this episode. Yeah, Emerald Island yeah. players episode, yeah. That would have exactly. been... Yeah. It would have been closer oh to, the, to the Island players episode. Oh my god, that would have been perfect. Yeah, no, Bolin became Captain America, effectively. <laughs> <laughs> that is completely fair. But yeah, wow, what a missed opportunity. That definitely should have been a mover. That is a great point. You do get some of it, because like I think it's like a third of the episode is Varric giving you this like elaborate story explaining how like Nuktuk defeated the Unavatu, and it's <laughs> Yeah, it's, it's literally just that. Yeah, very kind of did a mover of season two, but just but, like, like I wish that was the whole episode. Hero. That's all I wanted. Yeah. yeah. Oh man, great so, point, so, Andy. Oh my god, it would have been better. So to answer your question, Andy, I don't know if that's why that episode is like that, but that is a great thing to fact check because I didn't think about it like that. That being said, it is kind of like a mixture of Ember Island players and Tales of Bossing Say because they have multiple people telling these stories, but it's also them doing a recap of the series up to that point. Yeah, but this one didn't make you cry like Tales of Boston Tate. No, Tales of Boston, <laughs> Tales of Boston yeah. Tate made me fucking laugh because they knew their characters so well that they could parody the shit out of them. Yeah. The brilliant. one thing I didn't understand about that episode was like, what was the Korra Asami clip show? You're just telling each other things that you were both there for. <laughs> yeah. yeah. I don't understand why this conversation would happen in this universe. That's yeah, a, felt yeah, like they the were trying thing. to have conflict resolution and like, there wasn't enough conflict yeah. to resolve. Yeah. Alright, is there anything else anybody wanted to add? Now that um, I think Andy brought up Prince Wu. I forgot how great that character was, too, Dan. <laughs> Just so funny. <laughs> He started really off kind of like, like Prince Wu at first. Yeah. He, like really grew on me. Yeah, he started out kind of annoying, but then as the show went on, it's like, oh what? You're a decent dude. Yeah, he you're grows a bit entitled. Yeah. yeah. He starts out a bit entitled, a bit like, oh, this guy, but better than the Earth Queen. Yes. Tailing through the city. It was so 
fucking great. I do have to say, him not figuring out that the dancing is why the badger moles are like following along with him is very funny to me. He just thinks, yeah. oh, I'm just enigmatic and charming and that's why they're here. No, it's because you're speaking their language like they're bees and they understand if you dance around, you're asking them to do things. Him just being implicitly good at it and not knowing is honestly, it's very Prince Wu. About the graphic novels, I own the first one. I just haven't finished reading it and it's been a couple years now. Of course it has. <laughs> so I have no idea about the, the graphic novel stuff. The only thing that disappointed me with that is that we see Sokka once and like it's in a decent flashback. I was disheartened to find out that he died because he's one of my favorite characters, but yeah. I just wanted to know how his life went on after the original series. But you know, you get what you get. I think that they did do well enough of integrating the older characters and not having them hang around for long periods of time. Toph in the final season is very necessary though. Yeah. Because her family is the center of the conflict there. Yeah, Yeah. we kind of needed her to come back and sort of like help mend that relationship between her daughters. Also Toph's just such an enjoyable character. Yeah. That's also a big part. That's just like the perfect visualization of like an older Toph. Yeah. Like Toph being a negligent parent to a certain degree makes the most sense in the world. Her kids not knowing who their fathers are. Another one of those shows biggest mysteries. That just tracks. Isn't one of the theories that Sokka is Sokka is one of their fathers. It's one of the theories. Yeah, that's one of the theories out there. That that, that is a theory. I would be saddened and disappointed by that even if I think it would make sense just because like I do kind of support the Sokka Suki. But then again, we don't know what happened to Suki either so. That too. That's true. That that, that too. So yeah. That's true. That's one of the things I wanted to find out. Alright. It's it's Sokka and Zuko. (laughs) (laughs) She finally got her adventure with Zuko. All right. And let's go on to some ratings and let's start again with Andy. Yeah, I think overall I would give this show like 7.58. Like season one's like a solid like six to seven. Like it's pretty good. Season two's more in like a three out of 10 range. But if you're able to like bear through it, and it's the same that you kind of have to because there's a lot of connective tissue between seasons two and three. But like season three starts off real strong. I'd put that at like an 8.5, 8.6. And then like season four, I think is just slightly under that. But overall, the show is worth watching. I would definitely give it like 7.5. It seems pretty fair. Brandon? I give it an 8. I don't think season 2 is trash. I think it's my least favorite, but I don't think it's shit television. And I think that the other seasons are good enough to make the show an 8. I think season 2 takes it from being an 8.5 or a 9, but I don't think it drops it any lower than being an 8 as a whole. That's All right, fair. Jose? All right, so gonna go in between Andy and Brandon here. So I think it was almost an 8, but I'm gonna go with 7.9. So like there's something about the first two seasons that kind of just nudged like slightly lower for me especially season two but overall great sequel series definitely one of the best sequel series we've gotten <laughs> compared to some other ones that we've gotten for sequel shows or yeah. movies for yeah so overall, I applaud the Very creators true. for what they did, for the risks they took with the show, for the storylines they introduced, for making this world more mature. So overall, it was very enjoyable. All right. And my overall thoughts on the show, I like it. I enjoy it. I don't think it's better than the original series, but I'm actually very good with that. So I give it a 7.5 like Andy. I think the third season is its best season. I think that that's a solid nine because just from start to finish, they just had a mission and they got to to the end and they completed it but i think the rest of the show at times loses itself in itself at times it really works out but at other times you just wish that there was someone there just being like all right where are we going let's figure it out and they build a fun world but you just hope that it would be better coming off of the original series but all right thanks for that you guys and now for the start of everybody's favorite segment hot take city 
for today's Hot Take City, let's start with Jose. All right. So HBO Max is currently only available in the US. So everybody else around the world is only going to have theatrical releases. And in a lot of countries, cases are spiking up of COVID since earlier this summer. So they're shit out of like, they want to go to theater right now. They needed to have something big, I guess, like Wonder Woman 1984 in order to attract more subscriptions. Because apparently subscriptions for HBO Max have been relatively lackluster compared to, say, Disney Plus. So they really wanted to boost things up. They got a few more now that the Fresh Prince reunion aired. So I guess they wanted to keep that momentum going by something like 1984. But they said, no, 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 we need to go a little bigger, guys. And we're just going to risk this potentially $1 billion blockbuster and just drop it on HBO Max when we get that money. At this point, it seems like it's going to be a bigger loss than a win, but... I do think that that is specifically because of COVID. Yeah. And it's not even just like, oh, we need the numbers. We're not going to see numbers in theaters. But it's also a lot of film productions are being starved with content because it's so much harder to be able to film anything nowadays. So like the fact that like, oh, we have this finished product that we can actually put out it just seems somewhat win-win for them to be able to like we have this finished product we can put it out on our streaming service we get the numbers we increase the exposure that we would have otherwise they haven't had their one event yeah Mm -hmm. and i think this is what they're looking for that one event that really gets people drawn over because at first atrio max was just like we have all this warner brothers content come on you guys and anime do it HBO, we got it (laughs) we gotta get a piece of that cut no one wants to pay 30 dollars for this though <laughs> yeah. Oh, who would yeah. do that? <laughs> oh, man. <laughs> <laughs> Disney Plus, I think, can at least hold off potentially a little bit more for like they're thinking of doing something along this lines for Black Widow potentially because at least they have other Marvel content like the WandaVision show, the Falcon and Winter Solo show. So at least they have more Marvel common that they already had planned for Disney Plus. HBO Max didn't have anything filmed yet that was going to go on HBO Max in terms of DC content. They still haven't filmed the Green Lantern show. That was in the works, but because of COVID, that's been halted for a while. There was the Batman detective show that's going to be a spinoff from the upcoming Robert Pattinson movie but that still again hasn't been filmed and sorry, they just what? lost a showrunner yeah did you not hear about that what it's a spinoff of the Robert Pattinson Batman it's gonna be like a detective show so basically think of Gotham but hopefully done run this time <laughs> hopefully not going completely zany it's gonna be more about the actual detectives yeah oh GC, Gotham, like GC yeah more like Gotham Central yeah Gotham Central okay. okay yeah like Gotham the TV show is what I was referencing it's gonna be oh, more okay. like that I see what you yeah. mean yeah okay but like sensible. Yeah, not completely zany and out of left you. <laughs> I think what HBO Max wanted it to be their big hit is the motherfucking Snyder Cut. Get him. I feel like they were just sitting on those like, hey, this could be our big event thing. This could be our Mandalorian. Like, Zack Snyder, what are you doing? He's like, oh, no, man. You know, I'm going to need a little more money. I'm going to shoot more scenes in here. I'm going to bring back fucking Jared Leto Joker in here. It's like, what are you doing? (laughs) (laughs) Revenge tour. I think that was another one of their products that had come out of the whole COVID thing because that's one of those things that this footage already exists. We can use it. We don't have to put people at risk to be able to make this as a product exactly it was an easy yeah it was an easy win for (laughs) Zack Snyder there it's like okay COVID happened we don't have enough content hey we have this movie out here that's just chilling there that we could easily make into a TV show let's fucking do it but then Zack Snyder (laughs) just went I would like to see that with other product I want to see the actual cut of Suicide Squad give me that 
that one. Like, depending on how well the Snyder Cut does, <laughs> it might happen. The air cut might happen. Will it be as good? <sighs> Who knows? Yeah, that's the real question. I, I mean, don't want them to invest any more money into that. I just want them to give me the cut that David Ayer No, eat the rich. They can invest money in that if it entertains me. <laughs> nah, at and <laughs> is wiling out right now. They've been a little nutty recently. This isn't a hot take, but their entire 5G heroes thing that they had to kill because <laughs> of COVID was just like a series of ideas that they just threw against the wall and they were like we got to make it hot or else we're going to sell off the comics to Disney and Marvel and we're going to say fuck <gasps> all. <laughs> what? <laughs> we're going to what? This was like a huge rumor that people were like going around yelling about for like months. Like we shout out to my boys Kyle and Ann. I don't know if they'll listen, but they were the ones who put me onto this that the entire 5G was basically linked with the entire AT&T stuff who own Warner Brothers and HBO and they really just wanted the comics to do better than they had been and effectively that if they didn't do well for like a year, we're going to sell them off. I'm telling you guys, one of these days, I'm going to fucking Make a Vera account because apparently that's the only thing that Snyder uses. And just ask this motherfucker some questions. He's the only motherfucker who uses this goddamn <laughs> social media site. I've, I've never heard of this. I need to go get to the bottom to what the hell this dude is thinking. Because in a way, I feel like he has cool ideas, but the execution of them is like, you don't know a good idea from a bad idea. Like, come on. Like, you need somebody to keep you on track. He gets a lot in his head about, like, the world building and the mythology, but sometimes he needs somebody to, like, set them on the path of, like, okay, where's this plot going? like what's, what's the conflict the story for? yeah not just like throw random shit in here because it looks cool like okay great like you have steppenwolf in this weird fucking armor that looks like a razor made out of knives but <laughs> all right cool but man he why? looks like a character that was lost in knives out man he looked like the God, chair from knives out <laughs> at least throw a little red in there to like highlight like what the character looked like in the comics oh, yes but i also fundamentally believe and i've said this multiple times at this point as much as i don't think i'm going to like the snyder cut I do believe fundamentally that Snyder deserves to actually get this release. Yep. And then he can fuck right off after this from DC. Pretty much. <laughs> yeah. I think that if we had originally gotten Snyder's version of the movie, I think people would have liked it better. But I also think Snyder deserves this because of everything that was happening in his life. Yeah. Yeah. That took him away from this movie. I think he deserves this. This isn't redemption. This is him course correcting. Yeah. And opinion. actually yeah. just finishing yeah. the project that he actually started in the first place like seven years ago, basically. Yeah. I've shit on Zack Snyder a lot. And to clarify i didn't know about everything that was going on in his life when he left justice league so when i later found out it makes sense now Right, Andy? I'm very interested in the upcoming Spider-Man film that is yet to be named, but there has been rumors speculating around Tobey Maguire and Andrew Garfield appearing in the next Spider-Man, potentially as Spider-Man, and this whole thing leading into a multiverse, which is of just madness. an aspect of Which is like an aspect of this, like, I love, I think more properties need to be taking advantage of their multiverses. And they are. <laughs> you got Doctor oh. Strange doing a whole multiverse no, thing. Uh, you got the Flash I want movie. I some Bat Flash, Robin Bat, Bat and Bat. And you, we Keaton. might get that in the Flash movie. We're getting Michael Keaton and Ben Affleck in that one. We might get Robert Pattinson too. Maybe that's how they explain Robert Pattinson. Who knows? Existence. Who knows? <laughs> it's definitely out of the success of Spider-Man Into the Spider-Verse just because like that did so well and it showed what they could do with multiple Spider-Man and just the concept of a multiverse and like that it doesn't confuse people. Yeah. It won an Academy Award for that movie. Oh, that movie's amazing. Really? Yeah. I'm still blown away when I watch it. You pick up new things every time you watch it. I'm just like, holy shit. Yeah, that was one of those movies that 
like I wasn't expecting too much out of it when it was first announced. Like, oh, okay, I'll watch it in theaters. And it's like, oh, shit, this is actually pretty dope. The soundtrack like, is I... dope. The animation, wow, story. Oh, yeah. And the way they, like, have, like, the score just emphasize the soundtrack just a little bit. Like, it's so good. Mm-hmm. Yeah. If I get that same level of, like, interesting concepts and good quality storytelling out of the new Spider-Man that we did out of Spider-Man Into the Spider-Verse, I'm all for it. Yeah. If Tobey Maguire, Andrew Garfield, and Tom Holland don't stare at each other, just point, point just, like, yes. recreate that meme. <laughs> what are we here what are we doing i need that scene they need to do that yeah it's an absolute must if they do the spider-verse crossover yeah they have to all right thanks andy brandon i got a quick two first and foremost nightwing has returned in the comics officially they're done with the whole rick arc they're done with the whole thing where he has amnesia and is rick grayson and doesn't remember anything about being nightwing even though he has the muscle memory and the costumes and the connections they're done with all that nonsense finally apparently as of so they basically did like the new goblin in spider-man 3 where he lost his memory but he still had the muscle reflex yep and now he got yeah. it all back that might have to do with the fact that they're doing future state mm-hmm. which is they're just going to accelerate by 20 years into the future and everybody's got kids there's going to be a new batman superman is going to be john kent there's three wonder women is that yeah. where we got the new brazilian wonder woman yep that so, is also getting a cw spinoff show yeah as wonder girl is that going to be their new 52 or is it just an event it's going to be their new 52 i think is what's going so on. they're planning to have that be the new continuity they're building it out i want to say i I would be okay with that because DC is a comic entity that is very much about legacy and allowing them to actually lean into that like they did with Young Justice and other shows would be good to see because we're so damn used to all the other characters that are just being virtually pretty much static not changing at all except for maybe the Flash and even then they went back to freaking Barry because they brought him back from the dead after 30 years Poor I know Wally. you hate that Wally gets no love Poor Wally <laughs> I mean sure he came back finally eventually and they had the whole you know True two that. Wallys running around the ginger and the black one. My other hot take for tonight that is completely not nerd related. I did say a couple episodes back that I was happy about the NBA being back at the time and we went through the championship and one, I was proven wrong about what I thought at the beginning of the season where I didn't think the Lakers were actually going to pull it off and they in fact did pull it off. So kudos to LeBron James for his fourth ring. That's all I was going to bring up tonight. All right. I guess that leaves me and I'm going to open with Reddit is just Quora with better pictures and porn. <laughs> that that needs nothing more honestly enough said and so this hot take is black widow should have already been on disney plus because as popular as the character is or isn't and as well known as scarlett johansson is as an actress i don't think that this movie really deserves the amount of shine that it was going to get or possibly could still get just like how new mutant should have just been thrown to streaming already this movie should have just been thrown on disney plus and allowed to live itself out i don't think that in a post-pandemic world we're all going to be going oh my god give me black widow i want to see this so badly because it's all just a flashback movie like nobody is jones and for this like that it's not going to do crazy numbers like wonder woman post pandemic and honestly i'm having a harder time wanting to watch this movie all together so just put it on disney plus disney slash marvels and let it run <laughs> and see what happens maybe damn. you get a bump in subscribers but goddamn, who knows i think you have a point chris because i think like for example captain marvel i feel like that wouldn't have done as good as it did on its own but because it was like the movie right before endgame i think that's what pushed it above the one billion 
dollar mark. But yeah. like you said, Black Widow's a flashback. We already know what happens before and yeah. after this. So it's- yeah, I wouldn't doubt a number of these films do the numbers that they do specifically because they're narratively integral to this other film that the entire world is going to see. And like because we know that this is a flashback, because we know that this doesn't really affect the next end game. Like it might set up some things in the post credit scene, but that's that's about it. Or, or some antagonists that might be relevant in the future. Yeah, yeah. We're going into a next phase of Marvel that they haven't built up as much as it seems, except for that last Spider-Man movie. And even yeah. then, that's just letting us know that J.K. Simmons was like, "Oh, you guys are gonna pay me to yell on television <laughs> and act like I'm Alex Jones." All right, I'm in. Cut no, the but check. J.K. Simmons is J. Jonah Jameson is the most perfect casting I've it ever. Really seen. It really is, is honestly. Yeah. It's a it is heaven. perfect. But he probably went to them and was like, "You guys, I have an Oscar now. Like the checks gotta cut different." <laughs> kind of like Marcel. I know you got Disney money. Come on now, cut the checks different. This ain't no whiplash. Cut the checks different. <laughs> yeah, I did whiplash to get better checks. Do not deny that. Shit, he probably got like five million just to do that cutaway scene. J.K. Simmons has been out here. I really don't think that the Black Widow movie, as much as it's going to be a quote-unquote send-off for Scarlett Johansson, I really think it's really meant to set up Florence Pugh taking over the role. That's probably going to be the post-credit scene like we already talked about, but I think that they're trying to market it as a full-on send-off to Scarlett Johansson, but it's really going to be developing and setting up Florence Pugh as the second Black Widow. The same way that they have now set up Anthony Mackie's Falcon as the new Captain America, just like they did in the comics. They're kind of going with other counterparts. I mean, unfortunately, we lost Chadwick Boseman. May he rest in peace. But it looks like Letitia Wright is her Shuri is going to step into the role again, just like they had in the comics. They have the successors coming in and doing those legacy characters. I think they're going to try to build a lot of those up in this next phase. And that's why they're using Disney Plus to their advantage. Now, whether or not that constitutes enough of a reason for them to put it in theaters, I don't know. I think Black Widow was a popular enough character for the MCU standpoint that it could have done Captain Marvel numbers. If Captain Marvel could do a, a billion, like I think Black Widow could have done it. But again, I feel like Captain Marvel did a billion because it was right between Endgame. Like if that, yeah, I feel I, like if well, that yeah, movie was not in between yeah. Endgame, it would have not done a billion. It would have done closer to Wonder Woman numbers at most. Probably would have done closer to Wonder Woman numbers. Okay. It was like just under 900 million, I think. But even then, That's I feel like Marvel doesn't have much to lose there because they're already doing Marvel shows on Disney Plus that tie directly into the movies. That is also true. It's a toss-up at this point. Yeah. For me, I would have loved to see both of them in theaters, but I know that at the end of the day, they're going to have to make whatever decisions they have to make. I hope that things are different by the time that we know the fate of the Black Widow film, since we know the fate of the character. That's true. That's fair. You know what? I'll add one more hot take. We should be taking more elements from the Agents of S.H.I.E.L.D. TV show. Yes! And putting that into the actual mainline series. Throw in the Netflix shows, too. I don't think that's a hot take. That should just happen. There have been rumors that, like, they're going to bring Charlie Cox back into the core MCU. I feel like that happens. Oh, yeah. He's just chilling. He's He's waiting for that call. He's just like, Feige, hit me up. Rumors for Charlie Cox getting implemented into the main series is like the full moon. It just happens, like, once a month, naturally. Yeah. (laughs) I think Agents of S.H.I.E.L.D., if you guys have caught up with, like, the last season, it kind of, like, left off in a weird place that I think the way it ended Agents of S.H.I.E.L.D. now exist on Earth 2 like the Earth where they got the Infinity Stones from or something something weird like that That's their way of retconning it into, like, the movie universe. No, but just, like, just the ridiculousness of that series. I want more of that. That's fair. Yeah, but, like, fucking Coulson dies and comes back every other season. <laughs> <laughs> Literally every season. Like, sometimes he's just actually dead. Sometimes he's a robot. Sometimes yeah. he's not. Yeah. <laughs> What's happening? Death doesn't matter, well, man. 
Yeah. But like that series is definitely like truly like this is based off a comic book. Yeah. We're yeah. not trying to pander to some mainstream media. Yeah. Yeah. No, they just go bonkers. Yeah. Fuck these kids. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, they moved to a later time block, didn't they? So they they just ended up making it like an almost adult show. Yeah, but their primetime competition was like Dateline and Blue Bloods <laughs> at ten o'clock. Blue Bloods kills, man. Wild. My other hot take is that we found out that Black Lightning is ending with its fourth season. And I actually very much think that this is a good decision. Not because the show is gone too ridiculous or wild. They had Wayne Brady on there and he yeah. played a really compelling villain. Wayne Brady just straight up choked a bitch. Yep. He honestly was maybe the best part of that season. Yeah. They want to do a painkiller spinoff show. Honestly, to get to a natural point where your show will end is better than to messily just let it carry on. Supernatural oh, went yeah. on way too long for its own self. Way too fucking long. Holy shit. But yeah, that show definitely went on for too long. And like you said, Chris, I think Black Lightning ending is a good thing because it didn't go on for way too damn long and it never got too, too ridiculous like it yeah. knows it's on the cw it knows that it can do whatever it wants but they always just like reined it in they were like this is about black people and like it has a lot of cringe worthy lines on that show it's the cw like you know how cringe you're getting and also i think it's one of the more expensive cw shows that they film because it's filmed in atlanta not in canada and things like that Ooh, it's out of money. yeah it's way more expensive to film in atlanta than in vancouver and it's not a show that they can just buy off of a canadian network so i think that they're gonna be able to tie this show with a nice knot and give them the send-off and also it's not like the characters are gonna go away because they've integrated them into the arrowverse which i think was both a bad move and a good move i think that the arrowverse as a whole has the tendency to go way too wacky for its own good but i also love these characters and hope that they'll get the proper shine and i think that they can interact with barry and everybody all right yeah yeah do you think that they're gonna end it with jefferson becoming secretary of education like he does in the comics i would think so i think that would be a nice way. Yeah, it seems it. like a good play to move. As of now, yeah. I think they're still just sticking to Freeland, but they haven't moved into like the wider world besides the crossover. But it would be a cool arc to end Jefferson with. We'll if see. they wind up doing that painkiller show, I'm happy for the actor who's doing that because he used to be yeah. a child actor and he's mm. been around. Like that kid has been trying to get something for a while. So good for him. He was on Riverdale too. Oh, was he? Oh. And he gets killed yeah. off real quick. Makes sense. All right, everyone. So here's where we go to our social media. Andy, where can the people find you? Yeah, so I don't have a personal Twitter, but I do host my own podcast. It's called oh. Animation Meditation. We're just generally a, a weekly deep dive podcast on pretty much everything animation. We generally just pick a show or, or a movie or a TV show, like anything. Just go over it, talk about it, pretty much just like what we did here. If you are interested in that, feel free to hit us up at AniMedPods. A-N-I-M-E-D-P-O-D. Uh, we're also available anywhere where you can find podcasts. All right. And thank you for coming on today, man. Absolutely. This has yeah. been a pleasure. All right. And Jose, where can the people find you? People can find me on Twitter at S-H-1-J-A-Y-L-O-W-S-A-Y-S and on Instagram at J-D-L-A-92. And Brandon? People can find me on Twitter at B-C-K-E-S-S-O and on Instagram at L-D-Chocolate. And as always, you can find me on Twitter and Instagram at C-W-L-K-R-2-0. And now for the fact check. Hey everyone, this is Chris with the Fact Check. In addition to Wonder Woman 1984, Warner Brothers announced that their entire 2021 film slate would be released simultaneously in theaters and on HBO Max to accommodate COVID-19 restrictions. 
2017's Wonder Woman grossed $800 million worldwide, including just over $450,000 in a 2020 re-release. The Legend of Korra won a Daytime Emmy in 2013 for Outstanding Casting for an Animated Series or Special. It has been nominated for five Emmys overall. Tesla CEO Elon Musk and actress Amber Heard were in an intimate relationship from 2016 till 2017. Musk is currently involved with Canadian musician Grimes, with whom he has a child. And that's it for this issue. Thanks for listening. Thank you for listening. Nerdcraft Nation is a partner of Pub Square Media and is hosted by Austin Hall, Jose Lopez, Brandon Kessely, and Chris Walker. Our theme music was composed by Daniel Ferris. If you would like to keep up with the show, please follow us on Twitter and Instagram at Nerdcraft Nation. Like us on Facebook or subscribe on your podcast app of choice. Be sure to leave a review if you can. If you would like to send us a voice message, please check our show notes for a link to our voicemail inbox.